When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity during tax season because so much sensitive info is all together. Before we start the annual meeting of Sean's personal info, uh, has anyone seen Social Security number? Not me. Nope. Nuh-uh. Oh, no. He's been stolen. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but you can save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast, part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. I'm coming at you guys straight after Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals has ended. And look, I just got to get this off the top. Obviously, this is not a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, but it's me as someone who devoted, I guess, the last month of their life pretending to be a Bucks fan, I guess, rooting for this team, given that Given that the Bulls weren't in the playoffs, the Bucks were my adopted team, and a lot of that was driven because of Giannis, who, uh, as a fellow Greek, I had to support my uh, my uh, my countrymen in Giannis. But at the same time, they also had a few ex Bulls on it: Pau Gasol, Tony Snell, and obviously Nikola Mirotic, a player who I uh, will stand for 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 the rest of my days at least. But um, I have to take this L because unfortunately, the Bucks four straight losses here, losing to the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games, and I gotta take the L like the Bucks did because uh, I'm sure many people will come at me for tw- on, on Twitter, and uh, <laughs> I know my friend Fred will definitely be doing so. But I wanted to get ahead of that and just say, yeah, I'm gonna, I have to take this L. I gotta take this L like the Bucks, and it, it hurts especially because I I saw a lot of comparisons to of this Bucks team to the Bulls teams that we sort of knew and loved back in 2011, and I've made this comparison before, but this Bucks team reminded me of the 2011 Bulls in a lot of ways. They had the best defense in the league. They were built around a young generational talent who, like Derrick Rose, is probably going to win an MVP at such a young age. They had a new coach come in who overhauled their entire system. They played completely together as a squad, and they came out of nowhere, really, to lead the Eastern Conference, ending up as the number one seed going into the postseason. Just had dominant point differential heading into the playoffs, but they couldn't get it done here against the Raptors, who... Credit to them, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, what a series, man. He had, I mean, more than any player, I think, in the last 15 years, maybe, he, he sort of had that Jordan-esque performance where, not not, not not just just the numbers, but the way he sort of did it, that killer mode that he had. And he, obviously, I'm not comparing directly to Michael Jordan. No one will be Jordan. But, I mean, the way Kawhi just killed the Sixers, he killed the Raptors, uh, sorry, the Bucks. He was just in a complete killer mode, and he reminded me a lot of Michael Jordan, unfortunately, which... 
is bad for me, given I was ad- adopting the Bucks in this postseason. But here we are. Here we are taking this L. I'm taking this L. As a Miritich stand, this hurts. But oh well. <laughs> you gotta. You, you just gotta take it and move on, I suppose. But this isn't a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. This is a Chicago Bulls podcast. But I had to get that off off the top here. But uh, back to the Bulls, our beloved Bulls, who aren't in the playoffs, but hopefully that is the case next season because how good was it watching these playoffs, particularly in the Eastern Conference? I want to see that in the United Center as quick as possible because that was just awesome basketball. Even though I wasn't necessarily a fan of these teams, to see basketball at that level, you just want to see it back as quickly as possible in the United Center. How long is that going to take? I have no idea, but maybe if Jimmy Boylan is out there doing the recruiting and um, bringing in some max-level free agents, then who knows? Maybe that timeline could be sped up, and maybe we can bring back Jimmy Butler and get it done, because that is probably the main talking point for the Chicago Bulls this week. I don't know about you guys, but you've probably seen it already and know what I'm referring to here, but there was a picture going around on Twitter online. I'm sure people on Reddit found it, but I saw it on Twitter too. Tweeted out from uh, Bulls Nation Shy. That Twitter handle tweeted out an image, or at least that's the one I saw. Maybe someone else had it before him. But I saw a picture basically on that Twitter page of Boylan meeting up, or it looked like they were meeting up with Jimmy Butler at some sort of fancy restaurant, getting a bite to eat. And it just made Bulls Twitter and Bulls Reddit and just all online Bulls forums just light up wondering if this meant, or if this particular pitch, a picture meant that there was a, something in the works here where... Boylan was out there recruiting on behalf of the Bulls and maybe trying to get Butler back. And as we've seen in these postseason, you need that sort of high-level isolation scorer just dominating for you in the half-court because in these playoffs, the the game really does sort of devolve into a half-court game. And the Raptors, having Kawhi there, just absolutely killed the the Bucs in half-court isolation, something the Bucs couldn't necessarily replicate themselves. Having someone a facsimile of, of of that type of player, which I'm not saying Jimmy Butler is exactly like Kawhi Leonard, but I mean, he's, he's, he's a version of him, I guess. So the Bulls really need that player. So when you see Boylan out there recruiting Jimmy and a potentially a, a possible reunion here of Jimmy Butler in Chicago, the Bulls' Twitter sphere went absolutely into overdrive. And I guess I have to address it because it probably was the biggest story of the offseason thus far for the Bulls. Definitely after... The Bulls lost the lottery. I mean, that was probably the biggest the biggest moments for the team. But um, obviously, it was all for nothing, as we've sort of learned from Darnell Mabry of The Athletic, who clearly reported that despite the uh, viral speculation, that Boylan didn't actually have dinner with Butler. <laughs> so, it was, I mean, they obviously had a chance meeting. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's a chance meeting. They're obviously going to say as much. And I'm sure the the internet sleuths out there will continue to say, well, obviously they're going to say that this was uh, wasn't a planned meeting and that was completely co- coincidental and all that sort of nonsense. But I have to take it on face value that it was maybe just some some random chance meeting that someone happened to uh, ha- get a snap of on their iPhone. Obviously, it went to the internet. The internet almost broke down for us. Well, the Bulls' internet, I should say, probably not for the rest of the league. But it was fun nonetheless to think that. Maybe there was a chance that Jimmy Butler could return to the Bulls, but honestly, I never believed it. I don't know about you guys. I hopefully you didn't believe it because I don't think it's likely at all that one, Jimmy Butler would want to return to Chicago, and two, that Chicago would want Jimmy Butler to return. So I don't know. It was it was a bit of fun, I guess, given it was the off season. There's not much news to sort of go around, so it was it was fun for a, like a 24 hour period, but it, it never really made sense. I don't know why 
the Bulls bringing back Jimmy Butler, who is soon to be 30, 30 years of age. He'll turn 30 in September. It doesn't really make sense to sort of max out a player like that, given Larry Markinen just turned 22. Wendell Carter just turned 20. You've got a draft pick coming in who's going to be 19, 20 years of age. You've got Zach Levine, who's sort of 24 years of age. It doesn't really fit the timeline of this core and maxing out Jimmy Butler, who's going to be turning 30. And the players on this roster, they won't sort of be going into their prime until Jimmy's probably 33 or 34 into the last few years of his deal, where Butler at that point is probably declining. And him as your lead guard and, and the and I guess the main focus on offense, it probably just never made sense. So at least in my in my opinion, I didn't really see it making sense. I don't know about you guys, but... Like I said, it was a bit of fun for uh, or momentary fun for us Bulls fans, but Jimmy Butler to the Bulls was never really going to happen. And good, in my opinion, I think it makes sense for both parties to continue their um, their parting of ways here. And, and I say that despite being a huge Jimmy Butler fan, I didn't like the trade necessarily that occurred at the time. I was on board with trading Butler because I knew that the assets the Bulls had to sort of surround Butler with never really made sense to keep him around. I thought they were just going to waste his prime. So the Butler trade itself made sense. I didn't love the actual trade at the time At the time it was made. It's proving to be pretty good at the moment. But even in saying that, as a, bit, as a Jimmy Butler standard, bringing him back never made sense. I'd rather see this call sort of just build organically, play it out, and, and just keep building and, and doing things smartly where you could sort of build out the roster Give these guys a chance to prove what they can and can't be and maybe you just keep accumulating assets and at some point down the line, you either sign someone in 2021, keep your books open for that free agency period where you're closer to being a more of a contender and your young guys are, are, are more in their prime at that point. I think that makes a lot more sense to me or potentially even you, you let these guys sort of play out their careers at this point, see how they sort of develop and maybe you trade one or two of them for that star just as the Raptors did for Kawhi Leonard. We've seen how that has sort of proven for the Raptors. They go into the NBA finals by making such an aggressive trade, but they made that trade at the right time. I don't think the Bulls are at that right time right now to be signing a big max level free agent who can come in and sort of is on his third contract, a 30-year-old guy who can sort of come in and lead the franchise. It doesn't really make sense to do that now after a 22-win season. Yeah, it'll probably get you back to the playoffs a lot quicker than what this group will probably can. But at the same time, what is the ceiling? I don't think it's high. So I never bought it. It never made sense. And obviously, it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening. But I, I guess I had to mention it because it was probably the most noteworthy thing to speak about with our Bulls team over the last week and a half, particularly post-lottery, where I'm still getting over... The distress of what happened there where the Bulls fell from number four to number seven. I'm still getting over it, as I'm sure you all are. But moving on, I wanted to to, to get my thoughts on, on record, at least, about this whole point guard situation because there's been some topics that have been discussed since the lottery as well. And I guess it's been born about because of the lottery and, and the way it sort of played out for the Bulls where they fell from number four to number seven and, and made it seem like that pick was probably more expendable than what you would assume it to be. And Part of that reasoning is because John Paxson himself said, you know, trading may be an option for the Bulls where they may look to deal number seven. And that has sort of opened speculation where the Bulls may be looking to potentially deal that pick for a player like Lonzo Ball. Or I don't know where the rumor for Mike Conley came about. Was it a rumor or was it just something created by the Twitter sphere where that rumor of Mike Conley became an option? But if you're going to bring someone like Mike Conley in, then you're trading the number seven pick, obviously, to, to, to bring in Conley to be your point guard. But... 
I want to start off the top there with Lonzo Ball. And I think the pick number seven for Lonzo Ball is something the Bulls should be considering. I'm not saying it has to happen, but depending how the lottery plays itself out and who's available to the Bulls at number seven, particularly if the point guards that you want are off the board and maybe even Jared Culver's off the board and you're sort of making a choice between DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, I think at that point you probably have to consider maybe dealing number seven for Lonzo. I don't, I don't know if the Lakers would probably be up for it, but I think you at least have to sort of pick up the phone and having that sort of discussion because to me, Lonzo kind of fits this team, I won't say perfectly because he's got a broken jump shot and his free throw percentage is god awful. So he's not a perfect fit, but I don't really love the idea of adding a scoring guard next to Zach Levine in the backcourt, particularly if that scoring guard isn't necessarily a top-line scoring guard where you can sort of live with taking the ball out of the hands of Larry Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr., which is ultimately what's going to happen when you maybe combine Zach Levine and, let's say, Kobe White. If that's your backcourt going into next season, I can't imagine that working out favorably for Larry Markkinen or even Wendell Carter Jr. I can imagine that that backcourt sort of being very focused on being score first, both at point guard and shooting guard. And I don't like that combination given that the Bulls have started their rebuild around Larry Markton and Wendell Carter Jr. So for me, I kind of like the idea of having a pass first point guard at, well, at point guard, because I think it kind of makes sense next to Zach Levine. I think it makes very much sense for Larry Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr., someone to get them involved and to get them the rock and just someone to feed them in pick and roll. And I think Lonzo Ball is... If, if we want to talk about the things he does well, the thing he does exceptionally well is get the ball to to his players. And he's a fantastic passer. He's a willing passer. He's not someone that holds onto the ball. He's not ball dominant as such. He's more than happy to sort of move that ball and get it running and get it going quickly. As we've seen at UCLA, but as we've seen with the Lakers too. So that kind of play, I think, makes complete sense to me. And the fact that he's six foot six, can, he's a really good defensive player, can take shooting guards, I think he kind of makes sense next to the Levine in the sense that he can take the, the that defensive matchup in the backcourt, whether it's at point guard and shooting guard, and you can have Levine sort of rest on defense and have Levine maybe take over a bit on offense too. That combination makes a lot of sense to me. Obviously, Ball's lack of shooting is a problem, but at the same time, he moves on offense. Unlike Chris Dunn, he's a really good slasher. He moves off the ball really well, and he, and he sort of plays that baseline role pretty damn well as well. And in transition, I think he can be a really effective player. So I, I kind of like the idea of adding Lonzo Ball if it makes sense, but I think that's something you have to consider on draft day to see how that's shaping up and to see how everything else is shaping up around you. I mean, it's I spoke about it last week with Jordan after the lottery, but I think this is a completely fluid situation for the Bulls at point guard right now because... You almost have to see what happens around it. I mean, the Lakers pretty much will dictate what happens in the draft. Do they keep pick four or do they use it in a deal for for Anthony Davis? And I don't know the answer to that right now, but that may dictate what the Bulls can do with Lonzo Ball. Maybe Lonzo Ball ends up in New Orleans and the Bulls can get in, can uh, take Lonzo Ball off their hands. Or maybe the Bulls get involved in a three-team deal where they give up number seven the Pelicans ultimately receive that pick in the three-way trade. The Bulls get Lonzo Ball. And um, the Lakers, in that instance, would uh, get Anthony Davis by by selling off a few of their young players and pick number four, something like that. So it's a completely fluid situation. But I think Ball needs to be an option for the Bulls. And I would be about it. I'm sure I'll have a, a lot of people listening to this who wouldn't be interested in that, given 
given the fact that Lonzo is probably a worse shooter than Chris Dunn, which is saying something. But at least I guess he puts it up and he's willing to to fire up three balls, and at least he's trying to um, trying to make himself a threat from three, unlike Chris Dunn. So I think I guess that's a positive. But I think a lot of it has to do with Levar Ball and the fact that that is Lonzo's dad, and obviously we don't necessarily want to see Levar Ball spouting off here in Chicago. I'm sure that wouldn't go down well with Gar Pax, but. I kind of feel and I can't help but feel that some of the negative connotations that sort of follow Lonzo Ball are because of his dad as well. So uh, that's unfortunate for him, but I'm not letting that factor into my calculation of this whole potential scenario because I'm just looking at it purely from a basketball fit perspective. That makes complete sense to me. The whole Conley thing, I think, is an absolute joke. I think the Bulls should avoid that situation at all costs. Trading for a 32-year-old point guard and giving up a pick number seven, I think that would be just be complete lunacy. I don't know why you would bring in a mature age veteran like that. I just argue that it doesn't make sense to bring in a 30-year-old Jimmy Butler. Why would they do then trade for a 32-year-old Mike Conley to play point guard, I think that would be insane, and I hope the Bulls do not do that at all. I think that would be a stupid move. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit anyone's timeline, not Mike Conley's, not the Chicago Bulls. So just avoid that situation completely. I'm not about that move at all. And I guess while I'm here as well on my soapbox, I do not want the Bulls to sign Terry Rozier in free agency, I don't know how much clearer I need to be about this. I've, I've been on Twitter pretty vehemently saying the Bulls should be avoiding Terry Rozier at all costs. And, and the reason for that is his, his career numbers are very similar to Chris Dunn. Now, let me let me read out a few of these numbers. So starting from the top, they're basically the same age. They're two days apart in age. And they're both going to be 25, or they are 25 right now. So, I mean, not they're not necessarily that far apart in where their careers are situated, just generally from an age perspective. But... More broadly, I mean, their numbers per 100 possessions are just so, so similar. 17.5 points for, for Chris Dunn, 18.9 for Terry Rozier. I mean, Dunn gets more assists, 9 assists to, to 5.7 for Rozier. Reboundings in Rozier's favor were 8.8 and 6.7 for Chris Dunn, but it, it's very similar. I mean, their field goal percentage, 41.7% for Chris Dunn on his career. Terry Rozier, 38%. Rozier has done beat from a three-point perspective. He takes more threes. He, he more than doubles his, uh, Chris Dunn's attempts from three, but he's a better shooter as well, a 35.4 career three-point shooter, whereas Chris Dunn is only 32.3%. But on that volume, obviously, you give the edge to Terry Rozier. Both never get to the free-throw line. 2.8 attempts per 100 possessions for Chris Dunn, only 2.9 attempts for Terry Rozier. So you can't expect either to get to the, to the rim and to actually get to the free throw line. I mean, so much of it is a, it, it almost is a coincidence, but it, it's not really because they're almost the same player. Their, their player efficiency rating, Chris Dunn, 11.8, Terry Rozier, 12.8. Their true shooting percentage, 47.5% for Chris Dunn, 49.2% for Terry Rozier. They're so alike that it doesn't make sense to go out there and actually pay big free agent dollars for Terry Rozier, which is something you'll need to do because he is a restricted free agency. And depending on what happens with the Celtics and Kyrie Irving, they may actually have a need to keep Rozier around, even though he's made it pretty clear he doesn't want to stay in Boston. I I think the the mere fact that uh, that Kyrie Irving may end up in New York, be, be it for the Knicks or the Nets, I think it's possible that the Celtics 
would want to keep Rozier around to the point where the Bulls would probably have to overpay to bring in someone like Terry Rozier, something to have 12 to $15 million in that vicinity, and you may have to give him an extra year. So I don't know, if the Celtics are only offering three years, $40 million, then the Bulls may have to come in with a four-year 55 or four or four years, $60 million deal, which is just complete lunacy given those numbers that I just sort of read off are very similar to that Chris Dunn has produced. And that is why I'm completely against it because whilst their game is slightly different, obviously Rozier, he's probably more, more, more competent offensively and he's a better shooter than Chris Dunn. And that, I guess, makes more sense in this Bulls grand scheme of things. Ultimately, he's a scoring guard who doesn't move the needle enough for me to the point where you're going out there and giving him a three or four year deal in the 12 to $15 million annual vicinity. It doesn't make sense at all given what he's produced to date. is very, very similar to Chris Dunn. Their games are slightly different. I get that. I'm willing to accept that. But they're not good players. I don't think they've proven themselves to be starting NBA caliber point guards. So to hear that the Bulls may have an interest in Terry Rozier as Darnell maybe has sort of reported here for the Athletic. That completely bothers me. And I just I just hope, and I want to get it out here right now. I've said it on Twitter, but I may as well put it on record here on the podcast. I hope the Bulls do not explore this more seriously in free agency. I, I do not want to see a backcourt of Terry Rozier and Zach Levine. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. If you want to go that route, you may as well just get Chris Dunn in, tell him to work diligently on his three-point shot, and maybe he can become the three-point shooter that Terry Rozier is, which is completely average. I mentioned his career three-point percentage of 35%. That's under league average. He's not even that good as a three-point shooter, so who cares? Uh, just no, just say no to Terry Rozier. That's all I'm saying. Just, just say no to Terry Rozier. But I'm pretty sure I haven't mentioned Rozier, so that's why I wanted to get this out on the podcast here so forgive me if i have mentioned it before i've probably gone on a rosier rant before i'm sure it won't be the last as we head into free agency free agency but i given that darnell had a report maybe a week ago that he is a serious options for the bulls someone that the bulls would be uh actively pursuing in in the free agency period i i, I wanted to be known how i felt about it and clearly i do not feel great about it so say no to t-row is my official statement here but uh, another name that's sort of been mentioned as well, and it's kind of poignant as well now that the Bucks have sort of been limited in the Eastern Conference Finals, and given that he's been probably their second or third most consistent player behind Giannis and Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon is, is a name that's garnered a lot of attention from Bulls Nation, and I kind of get it. He would actually be a pretty damn good fit for this team. I don't like what it would probably take to pay Brogdon, given Eric Bledsoe was so bad that the Bucks will probably have to overpay him just to that the Bucks will probably match any offer because they need to, given how bad Bledsoe was for the Bucks in the playoffs. They need to, to to keep Brogdon. They can't afford to lose him, even if they can't afford to pay him at this point. So, I think the way this is sort of shaken out for the Bucks in the playoffs has made Brogdon even more important for that team. So. For the Bulls to get a play like Brogdon, you're probably looking at paying that guy like upwards of $20 million, which basically is the Bulls' entire cap position at this point. They can get from 21 to $23 million, depending on how, how things shake out for the Bulls. But to go out there and give Malcolm Brogdon a, say, a four-year $100 million deal or a four-year... I don't know, even $90 million deal. I think that would be absolutely crazy as well, even though he is a pretty damn good fit. So officially, I, I don't like the idea of adding Brogdon for the Bulls either. I think that would be a bad mistake in free agency. I think that would be overpaying. And 
I just don't love the idea of paying Brogdon, let's say, $25 million, Zach Levine, $20 million. Even though he earned his contract, I think that's a lot of money for a backcourt that I guess is somewhat limited from a playmaking perspective. And then when you add in Otto Porter earning $27 million as well at small forward next season, that's a lot of money to be paying. For players who are definitely good, they're probably not all-star level good, but they're definitely good players. But that's a lot of money to be overpaying, I think, right now, given where the rebuild is situated. I know Lowry and, and Wendell Carter and pick number seven, those sorts of players aren't earning a lot of money, so the Bulls have, have money to burn. But at the same time, I don't think you necessarily have to go out there and give a big-time deal for Malcolm Brogdon when I think you should really be aiming at a at a buy-low veteran at this point. Sign them for two guaranteed years, and that way you keep your cap flexibility open for 2021. I know we like to make fun of Garpax for playing the long game and always sort of re- always cycling through their flexibility, but in this case, jokes aside, it actually kind of makes sense to, to sort of gear yourself up for 2021 when... Larry Markkinen will be coming into his extension. He'll be 24 at that point. Zach Levine will be 25, 26, 27. Wendell Carter will be coming closer to his prime. Your actual young players will be getting closer to, to the point where they've gained some ex- experience, hopefully some playoff experience. But they'll actually be at a point in their career where you can sort of, it makes sense to bring in that high-level guy, which I talked about before. So I'm aiming and I've got my eyes fixated on 2021. So I just sort of hate the idea of giving a big-time deal to a free agent in this free agency class and sort of limiting your cap position in 2021, which is what you would be doing by bringing a guy like Melbourne Malcolm Brogdon for on a four-year $90 million or four-year $100 million, whatever it necessarily took to get him out of Milwaukee and you would have to pay overs to get him out of there. I don't like the idea of sort of consuming that cap space in 2020, 2021 and beyond because it it will limit your position in 2021. So I'm against that idea and that's why I like Patrick Beverly, a name that makes sense. I've, I've mentioned it here before. A lot of Bulls podcasts have, a lot of people on Bulls Twitter have because it makes a lot of sense. He is not someone that's going to cost you a lot of money. You probably have to pay him $10 million annually a season, but given his age, you don't really need to pay more than a two years in guaranteed money. And that's why I like a guy like Beverly beyond the fit. He obviously makes a ton of sense from a fit perspective. But the fact that he is of an age where he's beyond 30 at this point, I think he's 31 off the top of my head. He's not really getting a, a three or four year guaranteed deal, I would imagine, from any other team. So you can probably give him a two year deal, maybe even a three year deal where that third year is non-guaranteed. I think that makes complete sense. We're seeing the, the Minnesota Timberwolves do that with Jeff Teague, where the third year of his deal, I believe, was partially guaranteed. George Hill, I'm pretty sure his third year of his deal, or is it his fourth year? I don't recall off the top of my head, but the last year in his deal is non-guaranteed as well. So those point guards receive big deals, inflated money deals, but that last year on their contract was not necessarily guaranteed. So you can give Patrick Beverly maybe a three-year deal, a three-year $30 million deal, and maybe that third year is you know partially guaranteed or a team option, something like that. Definitely not a player option. Um, hopefully the Bulls have learned from the Dwayne Wade fiasco. Don't give a player of age a player option at, at that point in time in their career. But I think that makes serious sense too for the Bulls. So that's that's kind of my thinking at this point, that the Bulls should be thinking about a stopgap solution at point guard. I know a lot of fans won't want to hear that given that point guard is probably the only hole in the starting lineup, according to John Paxson. So I get the fascination of adding a player like Malcolm Brogdon or, or, or even Mike Conley or Terry Rozier. Hopefully there's not too many fans of that idea out there. But I get the idea of why you'd want to 
quickly add a name of a point guard name to the team there and, and just sort of lock down that spot right now. But I mean, the draft next year is point guard heavy. There's a lot more point guards in next year's draft than this one. As I said, I, I'm a big fan of keeping that space open for 2021. And I don't want the Bulls to be looking for a quick fix here where they just try to get the biggest name point guard that they can. And the reality sort of suggests that the biggest name that they can get at point guard here is probably not someone that's moving the needle too much. So I don't really want to see them overpaying. But I like Malcolm Brogdon as a player. Don't get me wrong. I think he makes complete sense from a fit perspective. I think it does limit you from a playmaking point of view. But when you factor in the contract, I'm just not about it at all. So of all those names that I just mentioned there, I think Alonzo Ball makes complete sense for me. I'm not necessarily saying the Bulls have to go out there and get Lonzo Ball, but if I had to choose one that made sense, I would choose Lonzo given that he still has a, he'll still be on his rookie contract for in the next two years, which you can't say for Terry Rozier. You can't say that for Malcolm Brogdon. You can't say that about Mike Conley. Those guys are going to be earning serious dollars whilst Lonzo is still on his rookie deal. Yes, his rookie deal is expensive given that he's a former number two pick, but at 22 years of age, the same age of Larry Markin, at least he fits the, the timeline of your current core. I'd play. I'd probably play that option. And if it can't be Lonzo Ball, then I'm then I'm going hard after Patrick Beverly. And that's the play I think the Bulls should be making, and that's the way they should be thinking about this. So here's to hoping that's how it sort of plays out. But I think that is completely dependent on what happens at the draft. And like I said, it's a completely fluid situation. We've heard reports from Casey Johnson that Darius Garland and, and Kobe White left the draft combine early because they had what appears to be guarantees from teams ahead of the Bulls. So I would assume Darius Garland, given that he's a clutch sort of client, maybe the Lakers have guaranteed him at number four should they keep their pick. Obviously, they may trade that pick, but maybe that's a conditional guarantee where they've said, you know, if if we happen to keep, pick number four, we'll draft you at four. And maybe the Suns, because they are in desperate need of a point guard too, maybe they've given a guarantee to Kobe White at number six, which would leave the Bulls with a wing option. And I don't know if Bulls don't if the Bulls don't love any of the wings that are available at number seven, then I think maybe you have to sort of look at that situation where you trade it for someone like Lonzo Ball. So I don't know. I think these are all the things that Bulls need to consider. It's a completely fluid situation, but like I said, I just wanted to get my thoughts on the whole situation on record. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, I'd be interested to hear. I think it's probably uh, it's probably going to get mixed reviews. I suppose my opinion of maybe bringing in Lonzo Ball. Like I said, he comes with negative connotations given who his father is, which which sucks for him, I guess. But I think a lot of people don't like Lonzo for that fact. I think a lot of people don't like Lonzo given they look at his free throw percentage and see how bad it's been from there. I mean, that's a damn fair point too. So I, I can't necessarily argue about that. But I think stylistically, he makes a lot of sense to this team and what he can sort of bring in. And I kind of like the idea of it. I'm not committing to it, but um, I'm down for it if it makes sense. And it will only make sense based on who's available to the Bulls at number seven. If if Jarrett Kohler is there at the Bulls at number seven, a name that some of the fan base probably don't want to hear me say, but I'm a big fan of Kohler. If he's there at number seven and he slides down to you at number seven, then I think I'm kind of cool with taking Kohler at seven as well and maybe not necessarily making that trade and and, and trying to find your point guard through free agency and hopefully that point guard be... You know, Patrick Breverly, you sign him to a three-year, $30 million deal that, that last year being a team option or a partial guarantee. 
you get him in for two years, you keep your, your flexibility for 2021, you add him as your point guard and that veteran presence, you get you sign Taj Gibson for maybe a two-year, $16 million deal. Again, you keep open your 2021 flexibility. And if I'm repeating myself, I, I apologize for that. But I, at this point, I'm, I'm really firming on this idea that it should be all about 2021. It should be all about letting this young core see what you've got here. Because like we've, we, we still don't really know. Unfortunately for the Bulls, injuries in the first year of the rebuild, even the second year of the rebuild, we, we don't necessarily know exactly what we have here. So to bring in some big names and to see how it all sort of meshes together when you haven't really given the young guys a chance to sort of, or you haven't necessarily seen them have that chance to see what they can do together. I just don't want to upspeed this thing. I, I, I know I know a lot of people will sort of push back on that on that idea that maybe you have to make your own luck and by, you, you make your own luck by being aggressive and doing something and speeding up that timeline. But I don't know, maybe I'm being a little conservative here, but I'd like to see the Bulls play it a little bit slower, a little bit more cautious. Don't necessarily just play for the, the first best thing that you can find. Think of the long the long game here. And I think at this point, the long game here is the first four years of Larry Markkinen's rookie deal. See what you can sort of build here with this core during Markkinen's four-year rookie contract. See how it all shapes up and then make your decision from there as to what you want to do in 2021. That's that's the idea I'm firming around. The more I think about it, the more that makes complete sense for me. Let me know what you think, though. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that differ, who think differently. Hit me up on Twitter at MKHoops. Let, let me know on the podcast Twitter as well, at Pod. But they're the main topics that I wanted to touch on for this episode of the podcast. There's not a lot of news coming out for the Bulls at the moment, obviously, because they're not in the playoffs. The combine has come and gone, and the players that I was most concerned with or mo- most intrigued about that didn't necessarily go through the physical physical measurements. I, I don't know about you guys, but seeing Cam Reddish clips going around around the internet and just... You know, seeing him make open gym dunks and open gym threes, that doesn't do it for me. Um, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure there's a lot of Cam Reddish fans out there that um, are enjoying watching him hit open threes in, in workouts, open dunks in workouts with no defenders around him. I'm sure that's doing it for some, but it's not doing it for me. But they're the main talking points for the Bulls. I guess the other thing that I should mention before I get off here is that Pete Myers, Bulls assistant coach, has resigned. Casey Johnson had that story a few days ago. He's resigned from the Bulls, focusing on family life. So that means the Bulls have an, another opening there for the assistant coaching job. They were sort of targeting a defensive assistant to add to Jim Boyle and staff. We heard about Mark Adams from Texas Tech being a potential option for the Bulls. He didn't elect to come to Chicago. He's staying at Texas Tech. So there was clearly an opening for the Bulls on their uh, among their assistant coaching ranks already after having signed Chris Fleming away from the Brooklyn Nets, who I think would probably be a good hiring. So they were clearly looking for a defensive assistant. They didn't get Mark Adams. Jeff Bezdelic, a name that KC Johnson had sort of reported the Bulls had inquired about. I'm not sure about this time around, but it had definitely had it in the past. He was Houston's defensive defensive assistant coach. He had been let go by the Rockets. I don't know if he's an option for the Bulls, but... Clearly, they're looking for a defensive assistant coach, but now they're going to have to look to to replace Pete Myers, Pete Myers' role as well. So the Bulls will need to fill two assistant coaching roles, whether they do that internally, whether they keep looking externally. Hopefully, I'd, I prefer they look externally, to be honest with you, because I like the I like the thing I liked about the Chris Fleming hire was the fact that they went out and got a, a top rated assistant coach from a from a program that was clearly making progress, as we saw to saw from the Brooklyn Nets. Their player development was coming along really well. And whilst I've said before that we don't really know how to 
to great assistant coaches because we're not in the bunker on, on a day-to-day basis. We don't know how good or how effective these guys actually are. But from all reports, Chris Fleming is a guy that sort of came over, came over with a lot of pedigree. So I like the idea of bringing in guys from external teams. I like the idea of bringing in guys from other teams who have maybe just a different slant on it, maybe a different way of looking at things. It can bring over some trade secrets from other teams and can just give the Bulls a different option or at least bring a different voice into the room that we haven't necessarily heard uh, heard before and it can help Jim Boylan sort of beef up his staff and just give this team a little bit of a different look. I think that kind of makes complete sense. So I like the idea of adding someone like Fleming because he, he comes from a good program like the Nets. I think they should be doing that with their defensive assistant position, which they kind of were looking to do with Mark Adams from Texas Tech. They should keep doing that. But even for Pete Myers, well, Pete Myers was an internal hire. I just want the Bulls to break away from that. I, I kind of want to. I kind of want them to go away from this sort of loyalty factor, the nepotism factor, and just bring in a guy that who is the best possible candidate for the job. And if that means it's an external person, then do an external coaching search. I've I've said that before about Jim Boylan, but I think that applies too for assistant coaches too. They've done it for Fleming. Let's do it for the defensive assistant position, and let's also do it for whoever the Pete Myers future replacement will be, but uh, I guess I had to mention there because that is somewhat noteworthy news that the Bulls are now looking to fill two vacant assistant coaching positions. So we'll see how they track with that. Hopefully they can bring in some good names to support this young rebuild and hopefully the the guys that they do bring in are focused on development and can sort of uptick the development of this team because that that is definitely what we need. We need these younger players to to be developed and to help them reach their, their potential here. So Pretty key here that the Bulls fill out Jim Boyle and staff with some some quality names here, and here's to hoping they do. But that's about it for me. Uh, there's not too much more Bulls-worthy topics to discuss here. It's been a little quiet, as we'd expect at this point of the season, the dead season for our Chicago Bulls. Obviously, it will start to ramp up as we head into June, and we head closer towards the draft. I think the Bulls, I think at that point, the Bulls will be bringing in players to work out, either as in groups or as individual workouts. We'll sort of learn here whether maybe they're positioning themselves from a drafting point of view. We know point guard's going to be an option for them, but if if all the point guards are off the board, then what are they doing then? Maybe we'll learn something in the coming weeks and what potential player they're, they're aiming for at number seven. Or like I said, maybe they're not even interested in keeping that pick. Maybe they're going to move that pick. All of that will sort of unfold in the coming weeks. As it does, I'll come at you all with another episode of Bulls HQ. So be on the lookout for that in all the usual spots. Follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. Five-star reviews on iTunes. If you do get a chance, I really do appreciate it. And also check out Blue Wire Pods as well. As we head into the postseason, be sure to check out Blue Wire Buckets. Also, if you're not listening to it already, but I'm sure you are, if you want more Bulls content, tune into Cash Considerations as well. Bulls HQ isn't enough for you guys, so do me a favor, head over to Cash Considerations, give Ricky and Jason a listen, they do great stuff over there, but that's enough rambling from me this week, Bulls fans, appreciate you all tuning in as always, I really do thank you all for doing so, we'll be back again very soon, probably next week, but until next time, this has been Bulls HQ, speak soon Bulls fans.
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.